First off, my name's Dave Giroux, and uh, I'm a pastor at Crossroads Bible Church, just about 10 minutes north of here. Um, and uh, it, for, for me to be right here with you all right now feels like a flashback, because right now we're celebrating 20 years of having existed as a church. And we began... I, I kid you not, we began in a gym just like this, set up like this. It was kind of like, you know, the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and kind of setting up, tearing down with the tabernacle, and everyone here is kind of all hands on deck as a bunch of Levites in the service of the Lord. And I just want to encourage you today that this work you're doing is not in vain. I so want you to hear that this morning, that your work you're doing is not in vain. There is a 20-year anniversary that will be celebrated here. God helping you, God willing, there will be a 20-year you'll be celebrating and then some even as we're celebrating that ourselves. And so um, it's just really good to be here. I've been a friend of Noah's for a while. He and I, we got to serve and uh, partner together as pastors at another church in town before uh, him planting mosaic. And so to kind of be here and with you all, it just really for me feels special because it's gone from now hearing about to now participating with you uh, in worship. So really cool to be with you all and look forward to just opening God's word. And with that said, just uh, want you to picture this with me. Uh, you're on a walk. It's the middle of fall. So you know here in Michigan, it's peak color season with the trees and uh, with a cup of coffee in hand, you just are outside and you're taking in the trees and one tree in particular captivates you with just these accents of maize and, and, and amber colored leaves and you're just walking with your cup of coffee on the sidewalk and you're just kind of moseying by and you lose sight and awareness of everyone and everything but this tree until in a moment the scene becomes this right here or like that right there where coffee spills everywhere because you just want a mug. You don't got time for a tumbler. <laughs> and instantly a moment of almost this zen-like joy and peace gets turned into chaos. What I want to ask you is, you bumped into someone before and ever just had a spill. You ever had a spill before? Maybe you're just thinking about uh, the time that you were at a restaurant and you got a handful of French fries in your hand. I loved that question we had for our discussion earlier. And you spill the French fries everywhere. Uh, you got, you're at a coffee shop and you're walking with your Starbucks to your seat. You trip, you fall, you spill coffee everywhere. Have you ever had a spill before? What I would say is it's in these moments here that we have a spill and it makes me think of this moment in the biblical story when we open our Bibles and we turn to what's called to the book of Ephesians. We encounter a guy who's praying for some people to have a spill. The guy's name is Paul and he's easily one of the most influential leaders in the early Jesus movement. Uh, so much so 
that the dude is essentially responsible for having started the majority of the first generation of Jesus communities throughout the entire Greco-Roman world. And one of those churches that he starts is located in what easily could be called the New York or L.A., of the ancient world. It's the city of Ephesus, and it's located here on the screen. You can see it just located very much so like an L.A. or a New York. It's right there on the coast of what's now modern-day Turkey. And like a New York, like an L.A., it made easy access for just about anything. We're talking commerce, culture, new ideas, the arts, religions. If you wanted something to go viral in those days, Ephesus was on your short list of target marketplaces. It's no wonder then that the Apostle Paul, as he's starting churches throughout the Mediterranean world, First of all, going from down there in Jerusalem all the way around the Mediterranean. It's no wonder that Ephesus is not just a place he wants to start churches, but see them sustained to flourish. And that is what brings us to this letter, which we call in our Bibles, the book of Ephesians. Paul's writing a letter to a church he started but wants to see them be sustained to flourish. And he's got two purposes in mind as he's writing this letter to them. On the one hand, he starts the letter off by writing to remind them of how they belong to God and his story. But then as you get midway through the letter, it's like he turns on a dime and goes from writing to remind them of how they belong to God and his story to talking about and instructing them on how to live in relationship to one another in their stories. It's a letter of two things. On the one hand, a reminder of how they belong to God and his story. And on the flip side, pun kind of intended on Noah's podcast, the flip side. Um, <laughs> on, on the other half of the letter, it's to instruct them on how to behave with one another in their stories. And just as he's about to wrap up the conversation of how they belong and transition into talking about how to behave, he inserts this prayer which we find read in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Would you just listen to this prayer? Paul writes here, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he goes into this incredible 
moment of praise saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Mosaic Church, it's been real. You are now dismissed. Go in peace. (laughs) It kind of has that mic drop moment there of we could close the book on this conversation of how we belong. But it's like there's something left. We close the conversation of how we belong with this prayer and what Paul is explicitly praying here. I don't know if you noticed something, but... Did you notice the way that Paul, before he goes into this moment of praise, did you notice the way he concludes his prayer? Did you notice how Paul, in his prayer, shows us what it's all about? You can see it right here on the screen. It's this line that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I see two things here. One thing that's explicit and another that's implicit. What's explicit is just that plain and simple, he wants the Ephesian Jesus followers to be full of God. He wants them to be filled with all the fullness of who God is and what he's like. But implicitly, He doesn't just want them to be filled. He wants them to be filled to spill. Filled with God. To spill the fullness of God. It's a prayer that for this community, that they would be so filled with God that when their neighbors around them in Ephesus bumped into their lives, it's like they just spill over God. Can I ask you something? You ever spilled something before? If I were to bump into your life right now, what would spill over? You see, it's not a matter of if, but when someone or something will bump into your life. Someone or something might be bumping into your life right now as we speak. The question is not if someone or something will bump into you. It's when. And when someone or something bumps into your life, what spills over? For some of us today, I just imagine that you're filled all right. You got something you're spilling. And it's like it's just this crippling anxiety, this crippling worry. It's like this obsession about what could go wrong, man. It's like if someone bumped into your life right now, it, it might be a panic attack that's about to spill over on them. Why? You're filled with something. Maybe you're here today and you're filled with worry and anxiety. Others of you, maybe not so much worry, maybe not so much anxiety, but it's like you just can't help but find yourself in this relentless cycle of comparison. It's like you just can't get out of 
obsessing over what's going well for others, all the while obsessing with what's not going well for yourself. It's like, man, if someone was to bump into your life right now, what would spill over is jealousy, bitterness, this this half-truth gossip report about someone else. Why? Because you're full of comparison. Others of you, you're here today, and there's no other way to put it than just to say that you're angry. You're angry. Angry at a politician. Angry at someone you are in a relationship with. Angry because of something someone did to you. It's like if someone were to bump into your life right now, what would spill over might be rage, might be a cuss out, might be a fist through a wall. What is behind that? You're filled with anger. You're filled with this obsession of what's been done to you. All the while, here we are because of our worry, because of our comparison, because of our anger, totally missing out on God and a life of gratitude and obsession with not what's been done to us, but what's been done for us in Christ Jesus. What are you filled with? And so what I want us to see here this morning is just this idea that we can be filled with something else. We do have options on the table. And my hope is that we'll just be able to see this morning that God's purpose is to fill and spill from our lives to show the world who he is and what he's like. My hope is that today God would be pleased to let us just see that his purpose is to fill and spill from our lives so that the world can see who he is and what he's like. And we need this purpose realized. We need God to fulfill this for us in our own lives because as I look around at the world and I just get a, even a minute's worth of getting a gauge, it's like I see a culture, I see people more full than ever before, filling, filling, filling. And yet I just can't help but think that we live in an age where while people have never been more full of stuff, food, clothing, everything you can imagine, entertainment, we have no lack of what we're filled with and yet I see we've never been a more empty people before. We've never been more filled yet we've never been more empty. You see what I'm saying and I just believe that if God would be pleased for us to capture this purpose for our lives from this text here, that we would be filled and spill from our lives the fullness of God to let the world see who he is and what he's like. It just might be that this could be a church where in this neighborhood right here, in this 49507 zip code, People come, but also as you go, people experience who God is and what he's like. Because you're so filled and spilling the fullness of God from your own life. 
And so we're just going to take a few minutes here to flesh this out. And in order to do that, we're going to see how these words right here fit into the greater context, not just of Paul's prayer in this letter we have in Scripture, but how these words fit into even the greater context of Scripture itself. So uh, we're going to consider how these words fit into the context. From there, then, we're going to just consider maybe what could be the one thing for us to do and why it matters. And so... To do that, we're going to just camp out on this one word we've been thinking about all along, and it's this, filled, filled. And this whole theme of being filled, it runs across the entire Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But how this theme appears in both Testaments, it's different. You see, in the Old Testament, God doesn't fill people. He comes upon them. All throughout the Old Testament, God is filling not people, but a place. And that place is right here. You can see this is just, uh, excuse me, this is a scholarly portrait of the original tabernacle tent. Uh, This is what people were going to for the worship of God originally in the Old Testament after God brings the people out of Egypt. And at the dedication of the tabernacle, I just want you to see here these words that kind of set a pattern for us to trace. Notice it here in Exodus chapter 40. It reads like this. There we go. Okay, so then God covered... So the cloud, that is the presence of God, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It goes on to say then, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Interesting. And then again, uh, just later on in the biblical story, a few hundred years later, God's presence makes a shift. No longer is it filling the tabernacle. Along comes Israel's King Solomon. And then we see this place here. This is Solomon's temple. And no, it was not a temple to Solomon, but it was the temple that was constructed by Solomon under his reign. I'm not going to give you all the details of what these things say here, but I just want to point out just the magnificence of this structure. We're talking millions and millions of dollars going into this thing to make it happen. And... I want you just to read with me the words we see at the dedication of the temple now. Here, notice the parallels. When Solomon finished praying, fire, that is the symbol of God's presence, cloud and fire are both just symbols all throughout the Old Testament of God's presence. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Interesting how it continues. The priests this time, Moses is long gone by now, the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord 
because the glory of the Lord filled it. <laughs> what I want you to see here is just this theme of God. It's, it's not that God is filling people here. He's filling a place, a specific place, the temple. And I want you just to play this out with me. Say you live in the ancient world of the Bible, the ancient Near East as it's called, and you hear word on the street that the Israelite people have been freed up from slavery in Egypt and now have settled along the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea in a strip of land known as Canaan. You know this land well. Um, you and your dad, you took business trips down south to Egypt. And to get to Egypt, you had to go through the land of Canaan. And you just hear these stories about what this God has done to get the Israelites in the land of Canaan. And so you're just curious. You want to go back, revisit this land that you and your dad traveled through. You want to go back to this land to find out who this God is like, who he is and what he's like. And when you get there, where's the first place you go? Is it to the local Turkish coffee shop? Is it to the first hummus and pita bread vendor you can find? No, you go not to the people. You go to the place, the temple. In the ancient Near East and just even like today for Hindu and Buddhist temples, if you want to know who a God is and what it's like, you go to the temple. Why? Because it was believed that the temples were the household of the God. It was believed that the temples were the dwelling place where they lived. And just like if you and I want to know who you are and what you're like, we go to one another's houses. And when we step into a, one another's houses, it tells us a lot about who we are and what we're like. Same thing with God. If you want to know who the king of the universe is and what he's like, you go to his house. You go to his dwelling place. You go to the temple. Fast forward with me then just a thousand years later or so. Paul's writing this letter. He's writing this letter to this community of Jesus followers. And just before he gets to the prayer he writes in chapter 3, listen to these words he writes here. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. He continues, in him, that is Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then lastly, he says, in him that is Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What's Paul saying here? You are now the temple. The Jerusalem temple no longer is the place God registers as his residence. Type in a GPS, God's house. It takes you not to a place, but to a people. 
What I want us to see here is that the world is now looking. The world is looking to see who God is and what he's like, yet they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking in all the wrong places, and how do we know this? We see it in the way that we live in a world that's never been more filled. Let me say that again. We've never lived in a world that's more filled. And yet, we also live in a world that's never been more empty. People are looking for God. They're looking, thinking, in this, I might find God. In this relationship, in this job, in this status, in this social media post, and you fill in the blank. We're looking for God to see who he is and what he's like. And we're filling ourselves with everything in hopes that in it we might find God. When all the while God is telling us in this letter, it's not in a place. It's not in a possession. It's not in a person. It's in a people, the church. You are the temple of God. It's no wonder that in light of this reality, as Paul's just taking this in and reflecting to the Ephesian Jesus followers of how they belong to God and his story, that he realizes before we go any further, we need to pray. And he prays that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Because he knows, because they're God's household, because they're God's dwelling place, because they are God's temple, they need to be filled. They need to be filled with God so that when Ephesus comes to see who this God is and what he's like, they don't find an empty house, but a house so full of God that they get to see who he is and what he's like. Earlier, we began with just this whole scenario here that may or may not have played out in your life before. But then I asked you this question. You ever had a spill? In one sense, maybe you never have had a spill before. But in another sense, each and every one of us, we're all spilling something. It's a, not a matter of if you're going to spill something. It's a matter of what are you spilling. And I'll just be the first guys to say that. When I look back on this past week and I just think and ask myself, Dave, what were you spilling this week? It wasn't my best week. Ask me what I was spilling. It was pride and insecurity that spilled over on my wife in defensiveness when she was giving me some feedback on something. Ask me what I was spilling. And I'll tell you what was filling my life. How about you? What are you spilling? Tell me what you are spilling and I'll show you what you're filled with. 
About 2,000 years ago, the same guy, Paul, who writes these words to the Ephesians, he also writes some words to another community nearby. To another church, he writes these words to describe for us not what he's spilling, not what this church is spilling, but what I think we need to consider more importantly, what Jesus spilled. In Philippians chapter 2, Starting in verse 6, the Apostle Paul reflecting on the life of Jesus and what filled and spilled from his life. Listen to this. He says that Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Another way you can translate that phrase, he made himself nothing, is he emptied himself poured himself out, spilled himself. It's one thing for you and me to ask, what are we spilling? It's a totally other thing to ask, what is Jesus spilling? Himself. Paul goes on to say, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself how? By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What Jesus spilled for you and me was himself. It's like on the cross, Jesus comes into our world, goes out for a walk, and bumps into a few people. And along the way, what spills out is not wrath, anger, or hostility, but grace, mercy, and peace. It's like he takes upon himself the very wrath you and I deserved so that we could receive from him a spilling of being brought in to belong to no longer be enemies of God, but to be children and family of the God of this universe. So that when the world comes to us and they experience what's spilling out of us, they experience God, who he is and what he's like. What I want to say to you here is this. It's an emptied life that's a full life. An emptied life that's a full life. Because what we see Paul say after he riffs on Jesus emptying himself is that God then exalts him to have the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I want you to see is that an emptied life is the full life. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick one area of your life right now. As you just ask yourself, what am I spilling? What might God be convicting you right now by his spirit? You're spilling. Maybe it's what I've already mentioned, anxiety, worry, 
comparison, jealousy, bitterness. Maybe it's anger. If it is, I just imagine for the person who's experiencing anxiety and worry right now, maybe God is inviting you to empty that out to him so that he can fill you with himself and you can know the peace and the gratitude that comes with being fully alive to God. Maybe it's comparison and maybe God is inviting you right now to empty that out. Empty that out at the cross and experience from him the satisfaction and contentment you were made to experience in him all the way at the beginning. If it is anger, what if God is saying, empty that out, give that to me? Maybe he wants to fill you with the joy and wonder of obsessing, not with what's been done to you, but what's been done for you in Christ on the cross. The world is looking to see who God is and what he's like, and they're trying to see him in everything they're filling themselves with. And as a result, we live in a world that's never been more full, yet we live in a world that's never been more empty. The world is looking to see who God is and what he's like. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and by extension to you and me, you You are who the world is going to see. God is like who he is. And so, just to close up, I just wonder, what if we could be the way that people see who God is and what he's like? What if we could be the ones who are just so full of God that we're not just filled with him, but we're spilling him from our lives and the world is experiencing from us who he is and what he's like. I believe that we can be a people who show that the emptied life is the full life. And so, I just invite you now to join me in just a word of prayer and then we'll close up from here. With Lord Jesus, you do have the name that is above every name. We're so thankful that in you we could become the parts and pieces by which God's household has been built. I pray, Lord, that by the Holy Spirit our eyes would be opened fresh to this reality that you've made us to be these mobile temples that show the world, show our neighbors, show our families, even show one another who God is and what he's like. Fill us, God. Hear the prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesians and let that be our prayer now that you would be so pleased to answer that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.